0: All right, friends, we are in our last chapter of Revelation, the last chapter of the Bible. And we are finishing up six portraits of what Jesus looks like in Revelation. A lot of times we can talk about the practical pieces of the Christian life. And oftentimes the most practical thing is just to stare at, look at, consider Jesus In all of his glory. And so that's the whole point of this during this Easter season is to consider who is Jesus and how ought that to affect me? Because what you're looking at, what you're spending time beholding will change you. It will change you. And remember last week I said, remember that what wins our attention will win our affection. So what you're spending a majority of your time looking at and thinking about, that's going to change you. Whether you mean it to or not. And so let me ask you this question before we get into our text. What is winning your heart? What is winning your affections? What is winning your attention? If you consider the last week or the last month of your life, what have you been spending time thinking about? Has it been about vacation? Has it been about just taking it easy, going to the beach, having just a little peace and quiet, getting away from all of the craziness? How to get that coworker to stop being so annoying. Maybe just getting through the day. Maybe your schedules are so packed you don't even know that you can you don't even consider that you have time to think about things. You're like, I'm just mad. I'm just running from one thing to the next. So I don't have time to think about these things. Well, you're coordinating schedules. You're thinking about all of these things and they're consuming your thoughts. Whether you know it or not, or whether you want to pause long enough to consider that maybe all of this stuff is changing me, is affecting me, and I promise you that it will. What you spend your time thinking about will win your heart, will win your affections. If you want a quick test case, just consider what you've been anxious about, what you've been fearful about, what you've been worried about. That, my friends is what it looks like on the front end of getting your heart won over by something else. And so what do we do? So we look throughout the book of Revelation, and the book of Revelation is written to God's people to get their eyes off of all of this stuff that consumes their time and their energy. And that's what the book of Revelation should be doing for us, too. is It should be lifting up our eyes off of all of this stuff that busies us and hurries our minds. And it's not in a way that's just like, Oh, I can't wait till all this stuff is over and then we're just going to be in heaven praising God. That's just escapism. And that's not what God's in the business of doing. See, because God is in the business of changing our hearts and changing our minds right here in real time on earth as it is in heaven. See, God's not calling us to escape reality. God doesn't shine His countenance upon us to pluck us out of earth. He shines His countenance upon us To give us peace in the midst of a crooked generation, in the midst of all of the difficulty, in the midst of all of the thinking. And and he wants to remind us that if we could just behold his face, and I think that at root that's what we want. If we're honest with ourselves, what we really want is more of God. And having more of God will change us to be the kinds of parents that we want to be, the kind of spouses, the kind of workers. The kind of life that we're longing for. And that's what we see in our text. If that Lord shines his face upon us, and if we behold his face, and we'll be changed. Blessed. Blessed, because you'll be changed. That's remember that Jesus in his Beatitudes? Blessed are the pure in heart for what? They will see God. And in seeing God, you'll be changed. You'll be changed. Because, my friends, there's so much more to this life than just getting from thing to thing, from being busy, from worrying, from anxiety. And so God wants this morning not to not to just look at a text and try to understand the text, but he wants this text to get into your heart, to get into your mind so that your eyes are lifted up. and You're like, wow, I've been preoccupying my life and my thoughts with a whole lot of stuff. God would have our eyes lifted up to behold the face of Jesus Christ. And in beholding his face, that's where the change happens. And that's my prayer today, is that you and I would come to realize that our lives are not just meant to be gotten through, but they are part of a great story of God's redemption of his people. See, God shines his light on us so that we can see clearly. And then once we get a clear picture of what he wants to do in the world, then we're called to take part in that. That's the Christian life. It's not just not sinning. It's not just not saying some bad words or not doing this and doing that. That's not what the Christian life is about. It's about being swept up into what God is doing in this world and being a part of that. And if we don't see our lives in this greater story, then yes, we're going to get preoccupied with a whole lot of junk. And then we're going to slowly be conformed to the image of this world. So the image of our Creator. And then we'll be in danger because we haven't seen God's face in a really long time. We're going to be in danger of just closing in on ourselves and just worrying about Monday through Friday getting through. And then in closing up on ourselves... We're at risk of giving up and saying, "I'm done," because God wants to capture your heart this morning. He wants to capture your heart this morning, and and that's my prayer for us. As I've as I've been spending time in this in this chapter, that's what I long for myself. I want to see God's face. I, you know, I I don't I'm not just trying to get through my week. I've been preoccupied with those kind of things a lot, as you are. And let's not kid ourselves. Instead, let's humbly come to this text and say, God, I want to see your face. I want to feel that fire in my heart that I felt when I first started walking with you. I want the joy of my salvation to return to me again. And that's my prayer for me and for every single person in this room. So let's read Revelation chapter 22. Revelation 22. Will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true, and the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what's, what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoers still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. So this last chapter reflects Ezekiel 47. In Ezekiel 47, you're going to want to write that down and go there and just corroborate what's happening in Revelation 22. Because obviously I don't have time to get in all these pieces. But this is the temple imagery from Ezekiel 47. And remember, we've talked about this time and again. Why does this topic of Babylon keep coming up? See, because God's spirit in Ezekiel had left the temple. It had left the temple, and Israel was sent to exile in Babylon because of their sin. But God promised that he would be with his people, that he wasn't confined to just a temple, but that he would go with them and be with them. But the place where they were at needed rest from all of their sin and all of their greed and all their covetousness and all of their hoarding of God to themselves. So his spirit left the temple. But then in Ezekiel 47, just as we see here in Revelation 22, that God's spirit comes back to the temple. Comes back to the temple. And last week we saw that the new heavens and new earth is a city, right? But it's not just a city, it's a temple. And here in our text at the very beginning, which should be read in conjunction with with the previous chapter, is that we see that the temple is also a garden. The temple is a garden. So the city is a temple, is a garden. All right, this reaches all the way back to the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve were supposed to tend and keep. This is the same words for worship God, right? That they are to tend and keep the garden. They were to worship God and in tending and keeping the garden, the intention was to take this garden and continue to push the boundaries of the garden, to cultivate the garden so that the whole earth would be full of the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. And so that was the whole point of what Adam and Eve were called to do. This is a garden. Go and keep tending it, keeping it, pushing the boundaries so that it encapsulates the entire world. And so what we see here in Revelation 22 is that very thing happening. Remember what I said last week was that this temple is so much greater than the Roman Empire and, and eventually it is to encapsulate the entire world. And so the same thing, this garden where God dwells with his people is meant to encapsulate the whole world. See, you see this, There, there's fruit Right? There's fruit that's mentioned here. Just like there was a river that flowed out of Eden. Do you remember that really obscure little verse in, in Genesis where it says, And a river flowed out of Eden and separated into four rivers. That, that's really strange, right? Well, there is a river flowing out of Eden, and there is a river flowing out of this new Eden. Remember the tree of life that was in the center of the garden? Adam and Eve were not supposed to take and eat. Well... You see that there is not just one, but there are many trees of life. Look at look at verse 2 if you want to catch me on this one. Verse 2. Through the middle of the street of the city, that was this river of life, and on either side of the river. That means on both sides of this river, you have trees of life. So this this category of this tree of life with 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. And so the picture here is that there is abundant life. That there's not just one tree, but there is tree that we can take from. And in fact, all of the nations can come to these trees and receive life. And, and then you get this concept that that this Eden has expanded. And it's bigger than anything that we saw at the beginning of our Bible. But then we see in verse 3 that there's no longer will there be anything Accursed, and then we hear that there's not going to be any uh, dogs or sorcerers and all, all these, these strange things. There, this, this concept of that this Eden is a little bit different than the other Eden. Because what happened? Well, the snake slithered into Eden, didn't he? Well, that's not going to be the case. God is not in the business of erecting new fences so that he can keep everything out. Because why? Why, why is that going on? Because God has definitively dealt with evil. Because the gates of this new Eden are always open. So how can they always be open if there's all this stuff going on outside? Because God has definitively dealt with evil. It is no more. It's no more. So the temple is a garden. But more importantly, between the first Eden and this new Eden, the key difference is that God... And the Lamb will be there forever and ever. See, God walked in the Garden of Eden in the cool of the day. So you get this concept that God would would visit Adam and Eve. And then they would hide when they sinned, right? They were able to hide. Well, in this new Eden, there will be no hiding from God's presence. He'll be there ever and always. And so, what what are we to do? So what are we to do? And that's the rest of our chapter. If you look from verses 6 all the way down to 21 it can be summed up with two points. two points. because Jesus is coming soon, we live differently now. Every place in scripture where where it talks about Jesus coming back, it says, "Therefore live this way." Because Jesus is coming soon, we live differently now. This isn't like, "Hey, I'll get my stuff together when Jesus comes back." No, this is Jesus is coming, so be ready. Be prepared. Have your have the wicks of your lamps trimmed. Have oil ready, because he's coming. So be prepared. Live differently now. Look at verses six and seven. These words are trustworthy and true, and the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. And look at the end of verse 9. Those who keep the words of this book. Look at the end of verse 11. Let the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Verse 12. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to do what? To repay each one for what he has done. So because Jesus is coming back, we live differently now. We don't live differently because God has got his arms crossed and he's got his brow furrowed and he's trying to make your life problematic. That's not why we get our lives together. That's not what we see in this text at all. It's not God saying, hey, I'm going to come and I'm going to straighten you out. No, it's because our hearts have been captured by that which is beautiful And awe-inspiring. Look at verse 4. They will see his face. Brothers and sisters, the new Eden is not simply wonderful because there's no more sea. Because there's no more crying and no more mourning and no more death. Yes, it's glorious because of that. But first and foremost, the new Eden is glorious because God is there. A lot of times we can focus, man, I can't wait till I don't have aching bones. I can't wait till there's not going to be any more tears in heaven. That, 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 that is true. That is good. But what we see, not only in this text, but throughout Scripture, is, is that this new Eden is glorious because God is there. And if that doesn't capture your heart, then, then there's a pulse that needs to be taken. The one who bought you, the one who created you, the one who is everywhere at all times, who loves you, who's given himself for you, he is there in this place. And so when you and I hear this, we are like, oh, that's cool. That's great. Good. Thanks for the info. No, no. This should capture our hearts that God is in her midst forever and ever and ever. And so the question for you this morning and for me this morning, is your life changed because you're beholding God's goodness and his mercy His grace. Is your life changed? Any inkling from your neighbor's? Are you amazed at His amazing grace to you, a sinner? You, a rebel? One who, if you're honest, would like to do things your own way for yourself. We love our comforts and we love our ease. But see, my friends, it's only when our hearts are kindled anew with passion for God. That we'll live differently. You see, when you and I muster up the strength and just obey because we're supposed to, that doesn't, that doesn't glorify God. If I do something for my wife, because I'm supposed to, it's actually denigrating and, and it's self centered. It's look, hey, I can do this. I can give her a birthday present. Look at what I can do, God. See, the problem is, is that we look at obedience as though we have to muster it up in our own strength. And God's saying, yes, at times you're going to have to obey and you're not going to like it. But then we also need to pray and say, God, change my heart. I don't want to live like this. I don't want to live out of obligation because I'm supposed to. That denigrates the person in which you're obeying. That denigrates the person in which you're honoring. But I should be doing things for my wife, for other people, and primarily for God because There's something that has captured my heart that's inspiring. And so I've asked this before. And I know it landed on on several of you. So let me ask it again. In what way is your life different than those that don't know Jesus? Honestly, tangibly. What way is your life different than those who don't know Jesus? Jesus. You say, man, I'm, I'm sitting right here. I go to church. Well, I don't do that. And I do that. But is your heart captured by the awe-inspiring magnificence of God? Or is it just because you got up and you're supposed to go to church in the morning? Or is there, I want more of God and I want to hear what his word has to tell me this morning. There's got to be more to our Christian lives than just not doing and doing certain things. Our hearts need to be captured by God. There are a lot of Christians who sound a lot like everyone else in the world. They talk about the weather. We can complain about this or that, the traffic, the heat. We criticize other people because we think we know what's best. And if we're honest with ourselves, we don't sound a whole lot different than an unbeliever. When we sit here and cast a doubting eye on everybody else, how is your speech different? How are your lives different? Because I see a whole lot of people who call themselves Christians in our world and in our particular city. They don't look a lot different than somebody who says, no, I don't believe in God at all. So, is grace shaping your words? Is it shaping your heart? Is it changing your life in a real practical way? And and our, and our last point is a very practical way. Of how we can live differently. Very practically. Because Jesus is coming soon. We invite. Because Jesus is coming soon. We invite others. We go talk to others. We welcome others. Into not just this church building. We invite others into our homes. Into our lives. Into the inconvenient Let me ask you a question. Can you imagine being invited to the greatest party ever? The host of the party is giving you a taste of the cake and some of the food. And and then you've heard your favorite band, whatever that may be. A lot of different musical tastes in here, but you've heard your favorite musical band and they crushed it on stage. And this host of the party said, I got everything paid for. The cake is free. The hors d'oeuvres are free. Bands free. In fact, you're going to have backstage passes. And you know what's even better is I'm going to give you unlimited tickets to invite people to this party. You would be a jerk if you didn't invite people to that party. In fact, if your friends found out that, hey, I didn't know you had tickets to Coldplay. How dare you not invite me? They would be upset with you for not inviting them to the greatest party ever. Right? And yet we do it all the time. Right? Every time we keep it to ourselves, every time we say, you know what, what are they they're gonna think I'm a, I'm crazy. They're gonna think I'm a religious loon. <laughs> you see, my friends, if we have tasted, if we have truly tasted that the Lord is good, and if we have heard the good news, and if we have seen God with our own eyes, God is giving you and me the invitation to go and invite other people. He's, he's saying, I want you to be swept up into this great story, and I want you to take part in this. Not out of obligation. He doesn't have a, a bullwhip, and he's saying, oh, you got to do this. No, he's, he's saying, C- can you see it? And if you see it, do you want to welcome others into this huge party? And if we don't, if there's nothing in our hearts that's stirring, any kind of conviction that's not even stirring right now, then maybe we haven't tasted that the Lord is good. Maybe we haven't savored it. Maybe we really don't believe that it's the greatest news and the greatest party ever told. And so you, you may be finding yourself saying this, but Matt, hey, man, Matt, it's not that easy. It's not that easy. Of course, it's not easy. Of course, it's not easy, but I'm going to ask you, define easy. And there's a difference between easy and life-giving. Like if I go fishing, what makes fishing fun? It's going out on a boat, casting a line, and reeling the fish in. It's going, being proactive, seeking out ways to find fish. Fishing would not be all that exciting if all you did was get on a little kayak and they just jumped in your boat. In fact, it would be annoying. and No fish are going to be jumping in your boat. And so God is saying, go out and talk go out and it's not easy but if our hearts are convinced that this is the greatest news ever told and if our guts have been satisfied with living water and living bread and life itself then all those fears of being the the wackadoodle go away they fade into the background into the light of his glorious grace it's not easy my friends and i never said it was easy but it's life giving It's life-giving. It's compelling. The more you talk to people about your Savior, the more you're convinced about your Savior being good and all-satisfying. I promise you that. Anybody who's ever shared their faith and anyone who's ever talked to people about Jesus, they find, wow, Jesus is pretty amazing. And so we are called to do that. We're called to do that. Because look at this. Jesus says three times, Jesus says three times, I am coming soon. Verse 7, verse 12, verse 20. He says, I'm coming soon. You and I can sit and argue, and in fact, many times we do. We sit and argue about some of the finer points of doctrine, of when that will be, how that will be, all these pieces. We argue, and we think that we want to try to find... uh, All these particular answers and try to find, oh, I've got this. See, it can be a waste of time, though, because there are people who are dying and going to hell without knowing who Jesus is. There are people right now who are longing for some kind of purpose in their life. Your coworker, your neighbor, your family member who doesn't know Jesus. They're longing, their hearts are pining, they're thirsty, they're hungry, they're waiting for someone to invite them, to invite them into life. And we can't be content to get our stuff together before we go. Can't can't just think that, okay, I'm going to get all these answers to all of these issues taken care of. And that's the danger that you and I can have a lot of times. Is that we can quickly and easily begin to be sidetracked from the real mission. Because we're like, well, I'm mad. I don't know enough. I, I didn't know all this stuff that you're saying in Revelation 22. Well, that's the whole point here. So we sit here and we're, we, we listen for a bit. But this is only a part of our Christian existence. A part. This is not the sum total of what we do as Christians. Nor should it be. And so we get sidetracked because we get so overwhelmed with, I just don't know all this stuff. And what if they ask me that doozy of a question? Well... They're going to ask you that doozy of a question, so just be ready for it. Because you won't have every answer, nor were you intended to have every answer. But you were intended to speak and to say, "Come." All those longings, all of those those hurts, all of those desires that you are articulating, whether you know as you're sitting and listening to stories of your coworkers, all of that is them longing for someone to say, "Can I come? Can I come?" You'll never know the exact right thing to say all the time. And sure, I'm not denigrating knowing the essentials of the Christian faith. You all know me well enough to know that's not what I'm saying. But you'll never be able to respond to every single thing. And there's a time and a place to say, okay, I need to understand this better. But a lot of times, if we're honest, we use that as an excuse. Don't we? We We say, I need to have more knowledge. And we say that I need to have more knowledge so that I can delay... In my obedience. Yeah, but if I don't know these things, and I'm, you know what? I remember, I remember going overseas, and and a friend of mine who didn't know the language very well. It spoke volumes to the folks that he spoke to. He 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 spoke in broken Spanish, but they listened that much more intently because they're like, he cares enough to stumble through words so that I can understand. I'm going to listen to him, even though I don't really understand what he's saying but you know what I'm going to come back and I'm going to listen to Jason that's what we're called to do is that to mumble and stutter and just try to get something to say I love you enough to make a fool of myself see we we don't need any more excuses we don't need any more comfort I promise you that so I want to be very very clear and I alluded to this just a moment ago the purpose of this Sunday morning gathering is to equip us to go out that's the point of us sitting here and I know I, I know each of you very well and, and I'm thankful and I know that you've got this and I know that you know this that yeah I don't just come here so that I can just that this is the Christian life I, I know that I know that. But we need to be reminded, I, myself, I need to be reminded. There's a lot of stuff that can go in on a Sunday morning and be like, wow, do we have all of the all this stuff together in the worship bullet?" No, we can spend so much time on that that we forget that this is a tool to get us out there. To get out there and to stutter and to mumble and to, to just invite people. So let me ask you, what is one way that you can proactively reach out to someone this week? email. That's pretty innocuous. A text. A phone call. Because, my friends, people are not jumping into your boat. You see, this this call for us to invite people is all over this chapter, and it's all over the text of Scripture. See, what we learn about our faith is that it's not simply about having apologetic answers. And I, for one, can get very consumed in having all the apologetic answers, but what we see in our text is that it's about helping people find their deepest longings. No death. No tears. No mourning. No thirst. No hunger. But that there's life. And in fact, the deepest longing of their souls are found by looking at the face of God. And so God says, will you tell others? And And then we hear this great invitation in verse 17. The Spirit and the Bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Brothers and sisters, there are people all around us who are thirsty and who are hungry. And if you were to say, Matt, I really don't know any. Well, it is on you then to say hello. It's on you send the email. It's on you to find the people who do not know. We are to go out. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, go out into the highways and byways. Don't just go the well-worn paths that you know. Be proactive and say, God, I want to declare your glorious, righteous ways to my neighbor. And so if you're like, man, I really don't know any unbelievers. Well, go go and find them. Because, friends, when we come to the end of our lives, this is what what, uh, stirs me more than anything. When I come to the end of my life, I don't want to regret that I didn't talk to that person. I don't want to regret that I didn't say what I knew I should have said and risk being looked at as crazy or strange. None of us in this room will be taking our last breath and say, "Man, I'm so glad I played it safe." I'm so glad I didn't say that. I'm so glad I didn't tell that person about Jesus. Not one person in here because I know each of us loves Jesus. Each of us wants other people to love Jesus. And so my heart is to stir us up so that our hearts are inflamed with this love for God because we've seen His face, and it melts away that fear like wax. Our lives are so short. They're so short, the party is too great, the joy is too immense to simply be content with safe and secure and well-respected lives, brothers and sisters. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these dear friends and these brothers and sisters, and thank you for this word from Revelation 22. Whereas we think about our own lives that someone invited us and in inviting us, we heard this great glorious news. We heard about life that has no end. We heard about bread that satisfies. We heard about rivers of living water flowing out from us. And so Father, we pray that as your people, as your temple that's being built up stone by glorious, precious stone, we pray that you would remind us and stir us anew to love our neighbors as we love ourselves, to go and invite, to say, come, come to this great marriage supper of the Lamb. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.